This podcast contains swear words. Hello and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up, and living well in the process. Whether you officially refer to yourself as an artist or no. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a dancer, actor, choreographer, and writer living on the unceded traditional territories of the Coast Salish people in Vancouver, British Columbia. Today, I will update you on the status of my current creative project or projects, because let's face it, there's always more than one going on. We'll talk about discomfort and metrics for success. And I'm gonna share with you an interview I did in the late summer with Miriam Colvin, a fantastic dance artist, cultural activator, wonderful human being who lives in Smithers, BC. Notes from the studio. In this segment, I talk about where I am with my current creative project or projects. So right now, I am in the middle of many projects, which I kind of always am, and I think it's a pretty common way to exist in our milieu, in kind of in our culture today. I don't know that many people who have like one job, and if they have one job, it probably is made up of many different kinds of jobs. They're wearing many different hats. Um, Anyway. I just got sidetracked by the idea of many different hats and wearing more than one hat at a time. Um, More about that later. So what I'm doing right now with my current project, which is quite a big project, and it started out with the idea that it would be an ensemble, that there would be many dancer, dancer, actor, performers on stage, some professionals, some community members, myself. And as usually happens, you dream these things up, you write them in your grant proposal, you pitch them to presenters, and then things invariably change. What's really hard about what we do, and I know it's not exclusive to the arts, but it definitely is a factor, is that you you have to kind of like imagine it, write it down. It's going to look like this, and there's going to be these things falling from the grid. And um, the grid is the part over top of the stage where the lights are and stuff, in case you didn't know. Now you do. You can use that at a cocktail party. And we write that all down, and you you get really clear with it, as clear as you can, even though you haven't made it yet. You haven't started in the studio. You haven't started writing. You haven't started improvising, playing around with things. And it's that's really it's like kind of backwards. It's cart horse horse cart territory. So I I did all this. I wrote a ton. I talked a lot about, you know, how I'm interacting and all the research. And now, after quite a bit of time reflecting from the first couple stages of the process, I realize that there is a pivot happening which is difficult because there is the temptation to just like hang on, but it's supposed to be like this. And I told them it was going to be like this. And But I think it's important to just like let, let the piece breathe. Let the thing you're making tell you what it needs to be. And I'm trying to listen to myself right now. And fortunately, I have some wonderful people around me who are reflecting back what I'm thinking is a wonderful thing about having people around that have seen your work for a really long time or have collaborated with you for a really long time. They know, they can tell when you're like, yeah, I think you might be full of shit, Tara. I think you might be uh, talking the talk or saying what maybe you think people want to hear when actually you want to do the comedy version. Okay, it's true. I usually do want to do the comedy version which can be very subversive. I might add, comedy is not always just a funny, funny, funny. That's another episode. I digress. So I think this is an important thing to think about because 
as kind of, you know, woo-woo as it might sound, a piece, a creation will tell you where it needs to go. And sometimes, even when something on paper can seem quite grandiose, or maybe it can seem quite quaint and small, when you start working on it, it might start getting a lot bigger and need a lot more pyrotechnics than you originally thought. Or maybe it starts to become something that's going to be performed for two people. So I think being aware of of my resistance, of what it's supposed to be or what I wrote, um, what maybe is expected, how I have made work thus far, it's totally okay to change. It's okay to change your mind at any point. I think that's something that is so important in everything we do, in every relationship we have. You can change your mind. And just like when we work collaboratively, I feel like it's a really important practice to keep checking in all the time. Don't assume that the way you have decided to collaborate is the way it's going to stay. You need to circle back with everyone. And right now, I need to circle back with myself and think about, am I okay with this? Am I still interested in this? Am I just bored of it because I'm just bored of it and I just need to get down and and do the work and find my interest again? Anyway, any thoughts I would be really um, open to hearing. I really appreciate uh, feedback, your ideas about how you do this, how you circle back, how does a process or a project change for you? Contact us through Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance. And now a new segment that I'm piloting as Millennials Corner. I'm lucky enough to have a lot of people of different ages in my life, some of whom are Millennials. They're fantastic, most of them. But like any generation, there's some shit among, among the, uh, the throngs. But I'm lucky enough that there's amazing uh, young artists especially female-identifying and non-binary artists around me. And um, on Facebook, I asked, um, how do you fuel your ideas? And a young artist here in Vancouver responded. um, Her name is Ileana. She responded, with people. People that I love fuel my ideas. And I thought that was just so beautiful and so perfect and so simple and potent. She also said that sometimes too much, too many voices, too many people, too much time alone or too much time with people can drain her energy. So I thought that was an important thing to share. It really is so important to surround ourselves with community, with people who understand or want to understand at the very least, because that's what we're doing as art makers, as humans really, is trying to understand each other, to be understood, to ask questions. So I think it's always a good idea to step back once in a while and think about, well, who are the people around me? a good friend um, who's not a millennial, who's a Gen X like myself, Jen Derbyshire, recently shared this quotation. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. What? I know, exactly. Bent my brains in such a good way. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, totally, right? So who are the people around you? Do they love you? Do you love them? Do you really care what they think? Are you asking people to comment on your work who you really respect? Something to think about. Oh, look, I have another new segment idea. I'm calling this one Art Police. 
A number of years ago, I ran a program called Art Police. And essentially what I did is I just asked people to join me who wanted to be on parole, who had something they wanted to do, maybe a project, maybe they just wanted to have somebody hold their hand while they wrote a grant or a proposal. So my role is the art parole officer. And for this one, your role is the parolee. And I'm going to talk about some ideas and I'm going to give you an assignment every week. Take it or leave it. Um, I think it's a good practice in that we all, most of us, need accountability. I certainly do. Or at least somebody who is there going, did you? Did you put the grant application in? Did you Did you call that person? Did you go to the studio? Did you write that thing you were going to write? It's kind of my shtick. So what I want to talk about in this segment today is what are your metrics for success? And are the people you're looking to to compare yourself, are they actually your peers? What I mean by that is that because of social media and all that means and the availability of video and information about other people's careers all the time. I wonder if sometimes we're looking at people who are just lucky enough to be the superstars. Like, are you a composer looking at the career of Philip Glass or somebody like that? Are you a choreographer looking at Crystal Pite, who's wonderful, of course, and um, a friend, <laughs> hat drop. Um, but um, no, that was a name drop. What the hell? Okay. Um, <laughs> hats, names, because I was talking about hats earlier. That's why, ah, okay. Anyway, it's okay. It's okay. So a little bit like I was talking about Last episode, in episode three, when I spoke about enjoying the accomplishments or the fact that the people around us are doing it, just like we are, they're making art. And whether you like it or not, isn't it wonderful? And can't we all just take a moment to go, a way to go, because this is not easy. So getting caught up in competition sometimes it can really dampen the enjoyment. And frankly, you're going to be dead soon. Well, probably not that soon, but we all will. So, you know, time's ticking, right? Time's a little morbid. Halloween's coming up, at least when I'm recording this. So, uh, love it. Um, so, look around. Who are you comparing yourself to? Is it reasonable? Are you comparing yourself somebody to somebody who has huge privilege, who has, I don't know, rich parents and went to Yale and could sit around and just audition every day because somebody was paying the rent. Like, those are things to really think about. Who are you comparing yourself to? What if you didn't compare yourself? What if you were comparing yourself to, you know, how you're doing right now versus how you were doing two years ago? Better? Probably. You're probably better at what you're doing now than you were. That's really significant. So think about that. And while you're thinking about that, your assignment, if you see fit, is to collect yourself. And what I mean by that is whether it's with a notebook or voice memos or a sketchbook, Every time something occurs to you for the next week or two, write it down. Capture it somehow. It doesn't actually have to be an idea. It certainly does not have to be good. But notice. Notice what's on your mind. Notice what you notice. Notice what's bugging you. What you find interesting. The fall leaves. The person in front of you in line who is balancing on one foot. Um, your child, your spouse, the taste of food, 
whatever it is, a photograph in a magazine. Collect yourself. And then maybe take a look at it in a couple weeks, though. And I'll come back to this. But for now, just get it down as a practice. And now my interview with the Miriam Colvin. A little bit about Miriam. Miriam is originally from Washington, D.C., and in the interview, I'll, I'll let her talk more about that. Moved to Minneapolis, ended up in Smithers, B.C. Now, if you've ever been to Smithers, you know it is a special place, but don't let that get out. We don't want people rushing to Smithers because it's really special. And what I really have noticed from touring to Smithers for probably about a decade now is how potent the scene is there. It's, of course, much smaller than Vancouver. But this idea that making art has to happen in a big city or that it's only good if it's in a big city, I think is super problematic. Why do we privilege the urban? Why does a work have to premiere in a big city Why does something that happens in a big art gallery in Toronto seem better than something that happens in a small gallery in Nelson, B.C. or Smithers or any other small place you might come across? So it was really interesting to sit down with Miriam and talk about things like that and talk about her perspective. She's a very interesting dance artist, creator, community activator, and a good friend. Hello, Miriam. Hello, Tara. (laughs) Here we are. We're sounding like we're in a podcast. We're doing radio voices. So, Miriam, give us a little background. How did you get here? How did you get to Smithers, BC? Well, um, I was born in the United States. And I met a fella who grew up about two hours from here, um, from where we currently live. And we met in Minneapolis. And there was this point where it was not a place we wanted to be living anymore. Right. And we came up. Um, I thought we would um, live in Smithers for a few months uh, because Glenn had some roots and a house here. And we'd be in Vancouver within six months. And here I am. Uh, I did that in 2004. It's 2019. Um, and I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why um, why do you think you never moved to Vancouver or stayed here? What well, happened? You know, so there's the heart, the logistics, the creative. So... Um, when I first moved here, um, I was I was so captivated um, by Wet'suwet'en territory and the natural wonder of northern BC. I've never experienced anything like it. Um, I immediately thought, great, I'm done making art. I'm going to have a garden and I'm going to hike. And like, this is, this is it. I don't have to do that work anymore. Um, and then uh, a full six months later complete depression, (laughs) totally (laughs) um, displaced. And I thought, well, either I start making work here or I have to go. Um, And the reason I couldn't go is I was in the middle of immigrating. So um, couldn't leave Canada, literally, um, because of that process. And uh, financially um, wasn't set up to work in Vancouver. So then my option became narrower of either I make work here or I get really sad. So I started making work. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So it's so interesting, I think, like when you're a creator, when you're an artist, but I feel like this does apply to everyone. You You just have to make it up. You have to make shit up. You have to invent because there isn't, Maybe there are for some professions, some people fall into, like, I'm going to take over my father's business or whatever. Um, But really, it's like, I'm going to just, like, bushwhack and see how this trail 
manifests, right? Yeah, and I wonder if other people have this, like when I first, when I say I thought I'd garden and hike, there was a sense of relief. Like, oh, yeah. I'm done. I don't have to make shit up anymore. I'm going to be one of those normal people who doesn't need to do that. And, and then it just wasn't at all true of me. And I wonder if other people who are creators, like, sometimes just want to, like, wish that you were the type of person who it was so fulfilling to work at the bank. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Wouldn't that feel so good? And, like, but it's just not my reality. Like, yeah, nor, nor is just not doing anything. Yeah, just the calling is constant and demanding yeah and sometimes harsh and sometimes annoying and sometimes just like the best thing in the world (laughs) oh I totally get that yeah I totally get that um so what kind of work were you making or you know before you came here in Minneapolis um that's a good question so I was um part of a sort of contract-based dance company. And I was also doing a lot of solo work. Um, I had given myself a mandate to perform every month um, and had done that, had checked that off. So I was kind of in this like high performative, very improvisational mode um, when I moved. Um, And always my work has been in relationship to the place I'm in and the people who are there. So thinking about who my audience is in terms of community, um, I worked for an amazing organization called Patrick's Cabaret. And so the whole premise was every artist got 15 minutes um, for a full evening of performances. And so each performer brought their people and you saw work by the person you came to see and five other people. So it was this very mixed crowd and always asking who's not on stage was part of the work of programming Patrick's Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always, I was mentored by some really great people about how to think about that question. Who's not on stage? Who's receiving this work? What is my relationship to um, the people around me? when I'm, when I'm making and when I'm performing. Amazing. And I think that really applies to your work up here. Definitely. Um, what I see you creating is that conversation with who is on stage, who is not on stage, but also like who's part of the creative process, who's in the conversation. And that just seems to be kind of like your character. Um, I often um, you know, in a comedy kind of way, we'll say, well, Miriam has gone into a place where we maybe we couldn't see the artists for the trees and she's gone with her stick or her whatever and she smoked <laughs> him out. And <laughs> like every like alternative person, every like queer person, everybody who's like, well, I have thought of making some things, but I... I don't know if I should. <laughs> so Miriam's come along and goes, oh, you should. Do you, do you kind of see that role for yourself up here? Do you, have you kind of, I mean, oh. that's how I see you. That's the optics. For sure. And it's grown. And the whole thing of like necessity is the mother of invention or when you have, um, you know, your creative straight jacket, how much room there is within that confine to find, like in, sometimes it's actually very helpful yeah. because you, you just work with, with, within the, the boundaries that are actually real or that you've set for yourself. Um, yeah, so for me, like, I think that that certain way of thinking about community set me up for um, making big She's making my amazing hands. gestures. <laughs> She's kind of choreographing right now. Um, um, for the, I could describe it to you, but it's just going to make it sound like she might be having a stroke. So uh, just trust me, it's really good. The de- yeah, the delving into who's who's here. Right. So the first project I did, I did bring up one artist because um, I was also new to Canada. Right. Right. So I didn't have like you didn't have a community. Yeah. Um, but I had met um, an amazing artist who had just also moved from Quebec 
to Vancouver around the same time I came to BC, Julie Labelle. And so I invited um, this very strong dancer and turns out to be a really um, kindred spirit. And she's my dance wife now um, <laughs> in making work um, to Smithers and then hired two still in high school dancers um, to complete our quartet. Nice. And then uh, worked with a professional live musician. Um, I didn't have any money. I couldn't bring anyone up from Vancouver. I didn't know anyone else in Vancouver to bring up. And, like, these two young people had, like, some real spark and um, interest. And I was really pushing their boundaries in terms of improvisation because that wasn't the culture here at all. Like, right. the dance schools, um, you know, the, the competitive circuit and different kinds of training. But largely improvisational forms are isn't part of that. No, I mean, I, I think outside of the big centers, really, in, uh, I'm going to just, like, go out and say in North America, but I'm kind of talking out of my hat, but it's it's that competitive dance school. You do your jazz, you do your ballet, you do your contemporary, big quotes, air quotes on the contemporary. Uh, you do your acro, you do your tap, and you're, what you're looking to do is be on So You Think You Can Dance, really. Like, if that's, like, the, that's your pie in the sky. Totally. So that's kind of the milieu. So you came up here and offered something completely different. Offered and challenged them of, like, who they were as interpreters because their ideas and who they are were as people is welcome in my work. And so that was hard for them. Right. And really interesting where they took it and as that trust is built over a process, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so now, you know, years later, I have this really solid practice of um, working with people who are artists in a lot of different genres of art because um, there's not a lot of performers of physical either dance or theater here. So, but there are a lot of musicians, there's a lot of visual artists, there are musicians who move their bodies in really beautiful ways when they perform and you want to just like choreograph them. <laughs> um, and then there's people who uh, have never performed or moved their bodies in a, in a professional sense, but are just really natural movers or, you know, danced until they were 16 and then stopped for all the reasons um, so it's been an interesting practice to figure out where I'm making, like, and I guess what's been termed now the arts-based community development side of things and where, like, the professional side of things and where the two always meet. Mm -hmm. um, and when that's really interesting, when they, when they meet and what that brings out in myself right. as a creator and in performers. Um. How has living in a small community, like, changed your practice? What have you learned from it? I mean, I, I think, you know, those of us who have always lived in big centers and, you know, the art community is, you know, it's right there. You can, I can go and take lots of classes. I can go see lots of shows. Um, there's lots of different places I can perform. Um, so there's that idea that you come to a small place and, uh-oh, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my work? Um, what have you learned? What's changed about your work? Because you're here. Uh, I know, question. this is a big question. Um, okay, first things that come to mind is that um, I think that just, I never, I, I never, I never, <laughs> there's a thing that I never do. Let's just talk in absolutes. Let's talk in absolutes here. <laughs> I, um, I look at people and I see their potential as performers, like people and a person of any description. Um, I wonder who they are as a performer and I'm curious and, um, I'm often surprised um, even more, like, because you just don't know. You don't know. And and their bodies move in these ways and their voices come out in these ways and their life experiences go in this direction. And um, so there's that. Um, 
I think my practice has changed in that I've learned when I feel isolated and when I'm actually isolated. And that Mm. those are two different things. Um, I noticed that I feel isolated more often than I actually am. And so how do I take responsibility for claiming who's around me and those relationships, um, both near in my town, but also far now that I've built some really strong relationships in Vancouver and throughout Canada. Um, And I've learned that when I'm actually isolated, um, I have a certain capacity for growth in that. And then just who I am as a creator, I need humans. I love to collaborate. I love to work with people. And so how to find that pathway that is true collaboration, grows my artistic practice, and and it's okay to want people to come here. (laughs) That's interesting. That's interesting. And and to serve that need and say, I need it. I want it. I'm going to do it. And I'm not failing living in a small town because I also need people who are totally speak my vocabulary around art making, who are sharing their professional growth experiences with me, who we just have a similar skill set so that we go into creation at at this, my hands way above my head, this level. (laughs) Um, Yes. Immediately, because we just like hit there. Exactly. Start there. Do you think there's prejudice? I mean, I can kind of in that that voice of like, it's okay to want people to come here, to bring people here. There isn't, um, I think it's important to recognize that there is, it's not like a step down to be an artist in a small place. There is, I mean, I feel like there is the urban centric, like to be a successful artist, you must live in a big city. Um, isn't true. And you're such a good example of, doing art at a very high level and demanding a high level and bringing people here to experience that. Do you find when people, when you bring artists up here that people are surprised? Oh yeah. Uh, Do you (laughs) love that? I love it. And also, but like, there's the right kind of surprise. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, There's the right kind of surprise, which is like, uh, this joyous recognition and there's the other kind of surprise that's like like quite condescending and like like surprise but not really believing it <laughs> um, how can this happen um, so there's and maybe there's like the whole spectrum of that but like I find that um, yeah I mean why wouldn't any artist want to be creative in such a gorgeous and warm? I mean, Spithers has its social problems, but like it's in general like a warm community. And so I think really like when I find the people who click here, it's like it's I see how they grow here. Like I, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is a phenomenal place. And I. I've been coming up here performing for 10 years, since 2009. Tara's clicked here. I have clicked here. (laughs) We were calling ourselves associate smithereens. (laughs) Um, Yes, I feel like I'm kind of just like calling myself that. I I don't have a certificate. I'm going to apply. But it is a a really special place. And I think um, one of the things that's really special about it is is you, is what you've done. and how you've uh, encouraged people. Because now there seems to be a real, like, people are really interested in, in art in a way that, and I've, even, like, the people I talked to when I first came here in 2009, and they're like, oh, what is that you do? What <laughs> is it? Is it, ah. Uh, you know, now I refer to it as, like, stand-up comedy with dance breaks, loosely. Now they're totally like, oh, yeah, like they they get it. There's no, uh, they're totally comfortable and totally comfortable to comment on the work and participate in a way that's so, yeah, it's so joyful and so interesting. 
and the conversations are super rigorous and challenging and it's not, um, you know, it's not this, you know, stupid idea that we have that people outside a big center are not going to have great critical minds. Well, I think, okay, that's a great point because I think that what happens, one of my observations of city centers is that people who make work go to see work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that stepping two circles outside of that, you end up with the same questions as the general population in a rural community. Yeah. Like, and those questions include things like, what is contemporary dance? And what if, if anybody can answer that question, <laughs> please email me. <laughs> um, yeah, and what if I don't get it? And what if I like this part but not that part? And the permissions. And so I think that um, it's very similar in some ways. So I make work and I share my process. And I invite people into that process. And then they have their own experience of both what I'm offering and their own artistic and creative voices. And then there's a bit of ownership. Right. And then it grows to questioning. And then it grows to interest. And then, um, you know, we're at the point where, if I may, like, I believe the first time you came, you got the question about what do you, what's your real job? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, and now we're at the point where um, in your last work, I can't remember the word for I can't remember, um, two-thirds of the entire audience stayed for like a critical thinking talk back yeah. with questions um, about the work and about the creative process and about your influences <laughs> and about like the chimpanzee. Um, because you, the chimpanzee, right? The chimpanzee. See the which, which, is, which is not going to, you know, look on the website. Um, the first chunk of the piece, I'm, uh, it's, I'm actually a gorilla. Oh, sorry. But it's very, you but know, that's a good question. from a distance, it could be you a very, could. it could be, it could be a large chimpanzee. It's a fair question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so true. Hey, and I mean, just for listeners who maybe are not familiar with contemporary dance, it is our job. And like, that's it. We don't, we don't work at Starbucks in addition <laughs> Although I, I have been a, a barista in my past in university um, and there's, you know, all kinds of ways. And I think I will do an episode about the side hustle. You know, how do we make it in the art, uh, in the art world? Because it doesn't, it tends not to pay really well. Um, I'm going to ask you this question. How do you start a project from like, just like, like, where do the ideas come from for you? I know. What? Why would you ask that kind of question? That's huge. I need two weeks to think about it. Um, I will use my most, our most recent project. Um, so uh, for listeners, um, Tara and myself and an amazing artist named Molly Wickham are collaborating on a project called The River right now. Um, so uh, a couple years ago, um, for the first time ever, I was invited on a raft and um, hopped on the Witzinkwa River. And about two hours in, something changed in my physicality. I just, it was so quiet. There's only the sound of the water passing over the rocks. And there's only the sound of the wind. There's not a house in sight. There's no motorized vehicles and you're with eight people and that's it. So the only other sound is if anyone in your raft is speaking and um, just something in me widened and, and also like shrunk into my spine in the sort of like settled way. And I felt that I was on a highway since time immemorial, I could feel that separate relationship with the land. And my eyes just shifted. And I had this vision. We passed this big red, it was not red. See, in my vision, it was red. We passed this big <laughs> rock. And I just saw this person, a female form, in a red dress on this rock. And like, I could cry right now with the image right. of it. 
that's the idea that just popped into your head just, in that moment. Yeah, and our collaborator, Molly, the other day in our research said, um, sometimes you have an idea and it just comes to you fully formed. Yeah. And that doesn't often happen to me. Um, but in this moment, it did. And it was a gift because that doesn't often happen to me. And it was just one of those things that um, I kept thinking about it. Um, and I kept thinking a, a few other clear things, um, visions came to me and choreographies, just little moments. But what to do with that? I mean, you're on a raft in a river. Like, you're not, I wasn't in a studio. I wasn't thinking about the theater. Um, so I think there's something to my process of, like, um, that happened. And then when the Canada Council put out their um, new chapter grant, yeah. and you couldn't ask for less than 150000 all of a sudden, it was this weird permission of, like, oh, I've got that project. The big pie in the sky. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like I never would have maybe gone there if, like, I kept thinking about, you know, these, like, smaller projects. But, like, oh, you give me $500,000, and this person in red is coming. And All not to you. You need to come to her. Right, right. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Miriam just got lost in her own <laughs> wonderful imagination. Um, it's like, where do, where do the ideas come from? I mean, I think that's like, there is something about um, creativity that I think you touched on. Um, is like changing your uh, environment, mm -hmm. changing your thought patterns. I mean, people talk about that, like, oh, you're stuck on something, go walk around the block or do some push-ups or whatever it is, like change the chemistry, the way you're wired. And of course, like that's a, that's huge. Like you mm -hmm. go on a raft for the first time in this amazing river in the north amongst the mountains and the ah, eagles and um, how did I do on my eagle cry? Uh, <laughs> it's a work in progress. Um, and you're all of a sudden, you're seeing things that you would never see before because you've never been in that that space so do you think that's a, an important part of the creative process is is like where you are how you are how you normally see things like disrupting your patterns yes and for me um hearing you speak made me realize for me the other thing that's really important in my creative process is that there's this through line I notice other people artists make work and it's like this project and then this other project looks completely different. And I know there's a through line for them mm -hmm. because there mm -hmm. always is. Sometimes it's not so visible. For me, um, I can clearly name that relationship to territory and land mm -hmm. um, and sense of belonging have become drivers in my work. Um, probably since like 2009 yeah. is when I can start to put my finger on it. Living in this rural area, um, in community with Wet'suwet'en um, human. And just for clarity, Wet'suwet'en, this is Wet'suwet'en territory. It's yeah. unceded ancestral territory um, in this area. Yeah. And, and, um, and I didn't always phrase it that way, and I don't phrase it that way to be politically correct. Like, certainly in 2009, I was aware of the physical beauty of the land, and I did a project that helped um, me find a, a place of meeting in that when I interviewed people um, from many different artistic pathways and walks of life, it was the river that kept coming up. Mm. It didn't matter if it was someone who um, was talking about a story where they were putting their mother's ashes in the river, or if it was a Gitsan woman speaking about the waterways as connectors of people since time immemorial, um, the river kept yeah. Yeah. coming um, into sense of belonging, sense of community, sense of um, inspiration. Yeah. So each project I've done since then has delved into the river in some way. Mm. Um, and I think that the other pathway for me is um, is the transformation 
of working with other people's stories and getting to a place where I'm working with my own story. Ah, yes. Right, right. Um, so just that thing about art making of the commonality, like the common experience, like you're talking about so many people here of the common experience of the river. It's so beautiful and so powerful. It's, it's transportation, it's food, it's place, it's, you know, beauty, um, it's danger. And then also, um, talking about story too, that's that I think as an art maker, and I feel like, like just as human beings, our stories, other people's stories. This is really like the, this is why we make art. It's story, mm-hmm. it's sharing story and sharing information and, and meaning. Um, that is, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the point of it all. And that's where the ideas come is, is in order to communicate story in all these different ways. Yeah. Whether it's through, you know, a stand-up comedy or a poem or a woman in a red dress on a rock in the middle of the river, um, which is totally happening, by the way, if you happen to be in the, in the area <laughs> um, when we do the full show. Um, all right. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, what is a creativity trick um, or hack, if you will, that you have, like something like if you get stuck, you always do, or something you have to do in order to get creative. Like, do you have to like always do yoga in this one place, or do you always have to have your special coffee from the fantastic little coffee place here, Bugwood Bean, that I think they have almost all the money I've made in the last week or so just it just goes right to them yeah it just doesn't even land in my sorry honey we're not eating because mommy has a bit of a coffee problem (laughs) (laughs) anything like that like anything like a kind of a concrete thing that you could leave us with um yes um anytime I'm like in the thick of it yeah I want to retreat I want to stop Um, And my current practice is to know, have a faith that if I just stay, I don't have to do, I don't have to make, I don't have to be creative, I don't have to be articulate to other people in the room. But if I just don't leave, Mm. and I often cry, and I often um, have to really breathe, and like... Not only can my my body can't stay, can't leave, but like my my imagination can't leave, my I can't emotionally retreat, like stay. Just stay. In the uncomfortable moment. Yeah. Right. And it can hit me at any time. It can hit me right at the beginning of the day. It can hit me at a point of self-doubt in the middle of directing. It can hit me, but like if I'm, I think that's a great point. If like, if I'm in that middle of di- making a choice about directing and I'm just trying something and I get hit if with that sense of retreat, if I don't stay, I never get the answer to the question that I'm proposing. Even if it's not the answer that I was looking for or the answer that I end up developing into a full idea. But if I don't stay, I don't get any of the outcome of that work. Right. And sometimes it's just enough, I would say to you listeners out there, <laughs> um, to find your place of, of not retreating. Yeah. And say that that's hard work. And that's good work. That is such, that is so good, Miriam. It is such a good point because I think, you know, we're kind of, I don't know, you know, uh, taught to, you know, uh, try something else, to leave, to look at your phone. Now it's like, oh, my God, I get frustrated in the studio or I start thinking, well, that's a dumb idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, We retreat into whatever it is instead of just being with the discomfort, which is like so many things in life, childbirth, (laughs) a long hike, 
chopping an onion. Just like go the distance because um, you will go through and you'll get to the other end and you'll have, you'll have more information. And that's, that's creativity in any, in any way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And just say also just that staying is the work. Just being there is the work. You don't have to be like actively, you know, making up some cool moves or uh, writing some really fantastic text. You can be just in the, in the soup. Yeah. And I think also like adding to that, like in the soup, in a collaborative sense, like if, if you're in a collaboration and you retreat out, you're not even there to hear and grow from the other people who are offering like, and, and like, and that that's enough sometimes. And, 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 you know, I, I just think there's something that happens to us as creative creators where like, you're always supposed to put out. Yeah. Um, produce, produce. And, and. On that, I think that wraps it up. Thank you, Miriam Colvin. How can people find out about your projects, what you're doing, website? I do have a website. Facebook, what do you do? I, yeah, not Facebook, but website, myriadprojects.ca. So myriad, M-Y-R-I-A-D, projects.ca. Look how I spelled that. I am really Without, I'm not a I'm not a strong speller. <laughs> so that was miraculous. So myriadprojects.ca. And if you're coming through Smithers, BC, your chances of seeing some great art are, are quite good. Well, Miriam's here. Thanks, Thank Tara. you so much. This was fun. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch with us. Tara Cheyenne Performance on Facebook. Tara Cheyenne TCP on Instagram. I'd like to thank Miriam Colvin for taking the time to talk to me and to share that, her thoughts with you. I'd like to thank composer and producer Mark Stewart, Mark Stewart Music, for helping me make this podcast happen. And I'd like to remind you, don't give up. Just make shit up. This podcast is effing good. good.